Welcome back to Ravens Recap. In the spirit of our previous episodes lately, uh, rather than look towards the future, we've been looking backwards in time. And we saw that the Ravens are doing this pretty cool 25th anniversary all-time team voting. And we decided to go through it with uh, one of our really good friends of the show. We talked about him a lot, Ken McCusick of Film Study. Welcome. Hi, guys. How you doing? Uh, Ken, would you like to talk a little bit about your website and the show that you do? Sure. Website is filmstudybaltimore.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at filmstudyravens. Uh, content out there coming fast and furious now this time of year. Got a lot of people talking about their own analytic studies, and I uh, hope you'll give the, give the site a try, especially if you look at the one video, uh, what's that defense? That's a good one to go back and, and uh, see some good stuff. Yeah, you've been doing some pretty cool shows lately. They had a conversation this week about, I guess, what the death year of a running back and yeah. uh, the Ronnie Stanley contract and the offense wasn't rushing the football. They're like expected value. Lots of really cool content. Lots of really cool guests. Uh, so definitely do check out his show. Before we get to um, the 25th anniversary all-time team, we did want to discuss uh, a pretty big happening in the NFL. Cam Newton finally has a hoe, and it's not the Steelers, which we discuss as a possibility uh, as a landing spot. He's going to end up at the Patriots. So what do we all think about that? Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised that the Patriots went a free agency route to get competition for Jarrett Stidham. I mean, I think we, when we did the season preview, we kind of paused a bit. Is he really going to be the starting quarterback for the Patriots? And it was kind of tough to to call who's going to win that game without knowing who's going to be under center. And I still don't think we know who's going to be under center. I mean, he got a pretty slim deal, only a one-year deal with not much guaranteed money. So I think it's an interesting move. I don't know if we can presume that he's definitely going to be the starter, but if they can salvage, if he's anything of the cam of old, then the Patriots just got a lot more interesting for this upcoming season. He's not a good Patriots team. I think we'd all agree on that. And it's I, to me, it would have really not been cool if the Patriots had been able to go through this year, effectively tank and end up getting Trevor Lawrence at the end of right. the year. So I, I think actually having the, this, this, this one moved them closer to a 500 team probably uh, provided he plays. And uh, I don't think he's particularly good at this point. I'm not, you know, this doesn't make me fear the Patriots them having Cam Newton certainly, but uh where are you on this, Chris? Yeah, I'm, I feel like I'm kind of leaning toward where you're at, Ken. You know, it's it's not a bad deal for the Patriots. It's mostly incentive-laden. Um, you know, it's definitely good. But honestly, I mean, you look at a lot of the free agent moves that the Patriots have made. I mean, some of them have panned out, and some of them really have not. You know, I mean, think about <laughs> the uh, the stint of Antonio Brown with uh, the Patriots. Didn't last very long. I mean, you have plenty of other guys like that who they would bring in who, you know, like Chad Johnson, another one. Also didn't really work out for the Patriots. Mohamed Sanu did not really work out for the Patriots. Might this year, if you know anything changes, but that seems pretty unlikely. It's definitely interesting. I'm not expecting much, but that's a good point that you bring up, Ken. If if that he does play at all, you know, that might move them closer to a five hundred team. That reduces their value in the draft picks that they'll get the following year, which would be pretty good. Speaking of draft picks, anybody upset that they did not lose more for their second violation of the Spygate rules? Yeah, so they lost uh, a third round pick and uh, 1.1 million in club fees, whatever that really means. Who cares? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I, 
seems like a drop in the bucket. Seems like a little slap on the wrist. You should, you should lose five million in cap space or something. I mean, that would be a reasonable thing, but the fine is not meaningful. Correct. Yeah. So the interesting thing I think about that third round pick is that if Cam Noonan, you know, comes out of this contract decently and then goes somewhere else, he'll be a potential third round pick that they gain back, which is, I think is kind of curious. But I, do I think they deserve to lose more? Potentially. I, to be honest, it's, it's difficult for me to say like how much that helps them versus just observing during games and paying attention, right? I, I don't know. The NFL had to somehow decide that this was different from the previous time because it was a second occurrence of effectively the same thing. This would have been a very, very serious violation. If this was different for some reason, like they really were working on some show and blah, blah, blah. But if you heard the tape of the guy in the press box, wherever they were catching these two guys, I mean, it looked like they'd been caught prima, with prima facie evidence. They'd been caught red-handed in the act. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, definitely curious. It's interesting just how the NFL even like comes up with some of these fines like this. I mean, I know we we rag on them a little bit for, you know, their handling of of fines regarding uh PEDs and and other things like that. Um but uh but yeah, for something like this, it's like, you know, how do you know whether, you know, something is malicious and if so, like what's the appropriate uh sort of, you know, response to that? Cuz is it even documented? Like is there a a standard protocol like for breaking a rule like this? It seems like it's kind of case by case. I, I think it probably is. I don't know how you'd set some kind of document up and like prescribe all the methods of cheating and then say what you do. I think it's got to be discretionary. Yeah. Because then I would, I'm sure every team would look at that document and be like, Hmm. All right. So these are the ways we can't <laughs> cheat. Let's, uh, let's find the ones that they haven't put in there yet. And let's do that. Or even the ones that they've under penalized and let's take our chances on doing that kind of like players do with performance enhancing drugs. Yep. That's a good point. So I guess we'll, we'll definitely see Cam Newton's entering. I think he's 31 years old. It should be like the pride of his career, but we saw him last time really banged up and not the same guy. So he seemed okay in the weight room, but they, they all look really good in the summer. <laughs> they all are looking fantastic. So we'll see how it, it translates to the field. With that, do we want to get right to the all-time team? Yeah, let's do it. First and foremost, we have the quarterback position. Vinny Testaverde, Joe Flacco, and Lamar Jackson. For this one, I didn't think too long. I just went Lamar Jackson. He's generational talent, and I want him on my team. I I went with career value in each case, and I just made a special note where I thought it's pretty clear that somebody's going to jump to the top of the list within the first you know, within the next few years. Flacco's my guy, but I think Jackson, by the end of his first contract, will clearly be the greatest quarterback in Ravens history if things continue. Yeah, I see that way of looking at it. For the way I looked at all these players, um, I only considered career that they did with the Ravens. So if some guy was a free agent and he had his prime of his career was better with the with another team, then maybe I had him lower down on the list. And then I guess with, with some of these guys like Lamar, I'm kind of projecting how I think they'll develop uh, based on what we know now with years that we think they'll still be on the Ravens. Yeah, I will agree that career value Flacco gave a lot to the Ravens. Lamar looks like right now he can eclipse that. So I'm going to go with that with the caveat that it's on a, on a projection for how it looks like he's going to progress looking at it right now. I don't really have anything to add. I agree with, uh, (laughs) with you, Peter. 
uh, Joe Flacco's my guy for now. That doesn't mean Lamar isn't my guy. It's just Joe Flacco's my guy for the 25th anniversary team. <laughs> I think it's worthwhile to talk about our kind of methodologies a little bit. So when I was thinking about it, I too also gave extra weight to players uh, based off their performance in Baltimore. So if they are a, a really great player elsewhere, and that's primarily why we know about them, I didn't really um, boost them in my ranks. So this is much more Baltimore focused, in my opinion. So second one, we have running back. We have listed in the order on the website, Justin Forsett, Jamal Lewis, Willis McGahee, Ray Rice. I will say I was a little disappointed to not see Priest Holmes on this list. I feel like he had pretty comparable, if not more value to the team than Justin Forsett had during his time in Baltimore. But either way, I don't think either of them would be in the running for the number one running back for the Ravens over the, the first 25 years. This was a tough one for me between Jamal and Ray Rice. I will say, emotionally, just Jamal Lewis was one of my favorite Ravens uh, in the early years of my watching the team. So I wanted to pick him on sentimental reasons, but I think Ray Rice was just such an explosive player, both rushing and receiving. And as good as Lewis was as a runner, he really was nowhere near the receiving threat that Ray Rice was. Both of those guys were huge focal points to offenses that couldn't pass the ball super well, although Ray Rice had, had a better passing attack to fall against. So Ray Rice by a hair for me. Jamal Lewis is a pretty clear choice to me. One of the one of the reasons is that Jamal played behind a much weaker offensive line than Ray did. So Ray really played the the you know between 08 and 12. Actually, he was, was still with the team in 13, I guess. But between 08 and 12, he played with the greatest offensive line the Ravens had for a five year period by far. And uh, Jamal, if he were on this team today with Lamar Jackson, would just be an oh, unbelievable man. runner. Uh, the two of them, you know, put together would, would be outrageously good. It's, it's even a reason why, you know, I think that the, the pick of J.K. Dobbins, though I think it's pretty high, uh, might work out for the Ravens. I, I think I'm going to go with Ken on this one. Um, yeah, I definitely think Jamal Lewis. And the angle I'll take is this. I mean, I think Jamal's 2,000-yard season definitely is the, the highest peak out of any player here. I will say from an off the field perspective, I, I do think Jamal is, you know, he's in the ring of honor. So he kind of already has that legacy sort of cemented in Baltimore. Maybe Ray Rice might make it someday, but I know that the things that happened in the 2014 offseason kind of soured that relationship a little bit. So, in terms of like longevity, if we're looking at the Ravens from 25 years from now, it might be a little bit harder to remember Ray Rice in terms of that legacy. Yeah, for me, it was Jamal Lewis, full stop. I mean, I never. I never really considered Ray Rice, although he was a, a pretty great player, obviously. That 2,000-yard season was just so much fun to watch. Uh, watching, I just wa- loved watching Jamal Lewis's legs continually churn. He never stopped, and it, uh, it devastated me. I don't know, Ken, this is a pretty like random training camp to be at, but I was at the training camp when he got injured, and uh, there was just a hush, a total silence in the room, you know, uh, or the uh, field, yeah. right, when that happened, and it was one of those things where he had a huge season just beforehand and then it all came crashing down. And then we watched Elvis Gerback who we actually alluded to either. It was either in the show last week or afterwards, like now uh, motivational speaker, Elvis Gerback just had a horrible season. And I think it was a lot to do with the fact that they didn't have the run game like they did before. Yeah, that, that hurt uh, for certain. I mean, you, you really came out across in bold relief, just how bad that 2001 offense was. 
you know, they had two quarterbacks they went out to the market and got, which you, you just never really see, but him and, and Cunningham at the same time. But yeah, I agree. The, the Lewis thing, coaches never want to get upset about injuries because they never want to show their own players that they, that they are allowed to get down about it. So Harbaugh always said, I don't even care about injuries kind of thing. Sometimes they'll talk about it after the fact. They caught, you know, they had hard knocks that summer, of mm-hmm. course, and he got the call on the phone and, you know, his, his first word out of his mouth after he hears it is shit. <laughs> kind of thing. So, yeah. you know, it's, it, it was what it was. Billick wasn't trying to filter that. It was a, it was a very, very serious loss for the team. So going forward, I think this might be the hardest position on those guys. I don't know if you guys have a similarly difficult time for fullback, trying to pick the most influential fullback, best fullback. For me, I I ended up going with Vonta Leach. It was a hard pick because I think Kyle Juszczyk is just incredible, and we've seen the things he's done since fourth. Um, But Leach was a part of that 2,000-yard season. I just remember whenever I played in Madden that year, I would control him, lead blocking control, and it would just plow open holes. And it just, uh, that nostalgic 2,000-yard season is what they did for me with Vonta Leach. Okay, I don't want to correct you, but I think that was Alan Ricard who was his fullback that year. Vontae uh, Leach was later. He was like, oh, oh, he was. Yeah, uh, he he played on the 2012 Super Bowl. Vontae Leach did, but that's okay. Vontae oh. yeah, Leach. I still used him in Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I loved it. Oh man, this is this is why we edit. I, I was wondering yeah. where you're going with yeah. that. Like, no, that's okay. I'll, I'll I'll leave it in there for prosperity. <laughs> I I still think Vontae Leach was an incredible fullback, even if it was uh, incorrect timing. <laughs> the Coke machine. He's a. A very, very good conserver of momentum. I liked him too, but I took Juice uh, just for his receiving uh, flexibility and his blocking flexibility. A lot of what Juice gives you as a blocker that's greater than some other fullbacks is the quickness to get into level two and three and make an effective block, where Vontae Leach maintained his uh, momentum by just never slowing down for anybody or turning to make a U-turn block or one of these others. Uh, he, when he hit somebody, he really nailed them, but he didn't, he didn't always connect. Yeah, I also went with Kyle Yushek for this one. It was an interesting one to pick because all four of these players, uh, vastly different skill sets. But yeah, I think for many of the reasons that you just brought up, Ken, um, the receiving ability and blocking, we'll go with Yush for this pick. Yeah. Yeah, I think Kyle's a good pick. I got to say, like, I'm, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling pretty good about Patrick Ricard. I'll actually, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, be the center a little bit here so i i think he definitely has the potential to kind of be one of the better uh fullbacks if we talk about positional versatility here i mean kyle Yuschek had that and his receiving ability patrick ricard man he just does so much for a big man i mean it's just amazing like when you think about his measurables and and think about man he's playing fullback and he's receiving threat and he's playing defensive line it's just absolutely insane he does things at a very very high level i'm really looking forward to seeing this guy for the years to come. I think he could definitely be one of the top guys when it's all said and done. By the way, I agree with you, Chris. 51 pounds, Ricard outweighs Vonta Leach by, and, and he was a big man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. I don't remember if I heard it in the interview he did on the lounge or if it was just discussions around. Um, are they saying that he's not going to play as much defensive line next year? Is that anything that's been discussed? I think he might be focusing more on the offensive side of the ball now. If you look at the position group, I mean, that kind of makes sense, right? I mean, we went out and, and got so many new faces on the defensive line. I think it's just a numbers game. I don't think he would be playing as much. All right, well, next up, wide receivers. So it's interesting. I actually had to go through the numbers here, and we actually are picking 11 on offense and 11 on defense, but it, you know, it's it's this base offense, and 
it's it's hard to imagine these this day and age only picking two wide receivers, but we only have to pick two because we have 11 total. So on the list here, we have Michael Jackson, Anquan Bolden, Torrey Smith, Derek Mason, Steve Smith Sr. I guess for me, the two that I'm going to pick back-to-back guys, I'm going to go Derek Mason and Anquan Bolden. Um, I know both of those guys had pretty prolific careers outside of Baltimore. Uh, Mason, actually both of them before uh, they arrived in Baltimore had pretty prolific careers with the Titans and the Cardinals respectively. Derek Mason was just extremely reliable for us and you know, he was one of those only guys on, on those offenses from 2005 to um, 2011. Just extremely, extremely consistent. One of the toughest guys on the field. I still remember that hit that he took in that Detroit game and just absorbed the hit and then was somehow able to get up and run the rest of the way for a touchdown. It's just an amazing, amazing feat. And then Anquan Bolden, honestly, uh, you know, you look at this and I, I pick him for his peak. And, you know, peak Anquan Bolden in the 2012 playoffs, just amazing. Absolutely amazing. We definitely missed him the year after. And, uh, yeah, for that, I I picked those two guys. This was a tough one to pick. I think of the five guys listed, I think Torrey Smith is definitely the odd man out. Michael Jackson, I can't really comment on because I've heard he did great things when he was here in 96 and 97, really wasn't watching then. For me... I think Derek Mason would be my number one of those guys uh, just because he was so productive for so long with not the most consistent quarterbacking for the most part of his time here in Baltimore. And then it's tough here because I feel like Steve Smith was a more productive receiver overall, but Bolden obviously has that 2012 playoff run. So I'm going to give him the edge on that ground. So Mason and Bolden for me as well. Yeah, not going to be that interesting. I'm going to also go with Derek Mason and Anquan Bolden. I think for Ravens fans out there, Derek Mason was kind of that first example after Michael Jackson of, oh, finally, after all this time, we have a wide receiver that that does something. And then uh, Bolden became kind of the second guy that we all looked to as, oh, this is that wide receiver that now everyone romances about having another Anquan Bolden. So I think Anquan Bolden had to make the list. Had difficult times. Steve Smith Sr. played with such tenacity when he was here, uh, and he had definitely the best career, I would say, uh, over Derek Mason as well, even though Derek Mason had a lot of success with the Titans. Those were my two. Ken, are you going to break it up? But Mason and Bolden are also my two, and, and a lot of the same reasons, so there's no sense going over that. I will say there's three guys who got tremendously dissed not being on this list, and one is Derek Alexander, who played with the Dawn of the Ravens teams and was a terrific receiver, one of the best in terms of yards per target the Ravens have ever had. He's the only wide receiver that's ever been uh, at 10 yards per target. The other two are Jermaine Lewis, who was in his early years, he was also an unbelievable receiver, uh, not just a great return man. So uh, he provided a lot of value there. They didn't get a lot of targets per year. And then the other guy, how do they forget this guy? He's still in the broadcast with Kadri Ishmael. Yes. I mean, he was a big part of the 2000 Ravens. You know, he played on on some teams which had terrible quarterbacks, frankly, and still was, was you know, producing some decent receiving numbers. So to me, those three guys all kind of got left out of this balloting process. Oh, that's a good point about Quadre Ismail. I, I think he had been my number two over Mason. Yeah, that's like, I, I, I totally blanked. You get like the selection bias when you see the list. And then, yeah, when you say <laughs> that, it's like, oh, yeah, that's, that's who I would want. Yeah, that's, that's a shame. I wonder why he's not in it. He clearly was not involved in the uh, voting process. <laughs> Ken, you want to start off the tight end conversation? Uh, Sure, but I don't have the list in front of me. I don't mind going first if you don't mind calling out the list. 
Yeah, so Shan Sharp, Todd Heap, Dennis Pitta, and Mark Andrews. So for me, Heap is the obvious guy in terms of his tenure and his career value. I will say I think Mark Andrews has already set the standard where he'll be the best Ravens tight end before it's over, uh, hopefully by the end of his first contract, but, but it may take into his second um, in his case. Uh, his yards per target his rookie year are the all-time record for a Raven at 11.04. There's only been three other receivers, any position, at 10 yards or more in Ravens history. So he's really uh, an outlier in that respect. So I'm not going to go with the birthday boy. Dennis Pitta is turning 35 today, apparently. But I'm going to go with Todd Heap. I think he might be the most well-rounded tight end on this list. Unfortunately, he has some you know injuries that kind of kept him uh, in and out of full productiveness each season. But I just think he had such a long career. I think he's also a ring of honor, right? And he is a dominating force on this team for many years. Yeah, Heat made his first two Pro Bowls in 2002 and 2003 with Jeff Blake and Kyle Bowler throwing in passes, um, <laughs> especially making the Pro Bowl when, gosh, weren't the Ravens the last-ranked passing offense that year? They might have been. It was not pretty. They were down there if they weren't the, the lowest. But, yeah, I think it really speaks volumes to how Heap was able to produce in offenses where, where really you weren't getting the ball thrown quite a bit as it was. Yeah, four out of four. Uh, I'm going to go Heap. And the only thing I wanted to say is that um, Shannon Sharp definitely was honorable mention for me. I think he was a really good veteran pickup that the Ravens had gotten. And, um, you know, it was absolutely fantastic. We talk about Anquan Bolden being one of the guys in that 2012 playoffs to really spring the offense together. Uh, Shannon Sharp also had a number of really, really big plays in the 2000 playoffs. Um, so, uh, yeah, he was definitely had his impact felt but just wasn't here long enough to really, you know, be the top choice. That's a, a very good tight end room. Lots of great tight ends. Moving on now to offensive tackle. This is a, uh, I think this one might be a slam dunk as well. We have Jonathan Ogden, Ronnie Stanley, Michael Orr, and Orlando Brown Jr. I'm going with J.O. and Ronnie Stanley. I mean, Michael Orr kind of disappointed us. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Orlando Brown Jr. just isn't Ronnie. Here's what I want to know. How do you make a list and have Orlando Brown Jr. on the list and, and forget Orlando Brown Sr.? <laughs> right. He's played for the Ravens for a lot longer. He's, he's being dissed on the list better than Orr. Uh, you know, oh, that's yeah. for sure. So I don't know why they would yeah. include him. I, I, I agree completely in terms of your picks. I don't think there's a lot of sense in discussing it. I will say that in terms of Orr's career, that his career was a ski slope in terms of his ability. And part of it was not keeping him at right tackle I thought really hurt his entire career path and growth and uh, he could have been a better player, but he and his agent decided he wanted to be a left tackle and really looked like he was a very physical right tackle for starters. And then he decided he didn't want to play physical anymore. Yeah. Uh, not too much more to add on my side as well. I do agree that Orlando Brown should have been on there as well. Uh, hard to argue over a hall of famer and a guy with who's showing as much upside as Stanley is right now as the two top ones for here. Yeah, same. So let's uh, actually the only one other point I wanted to make when we're talking about people left off this list. Um, Ricky Wagner, would we say that he would deserve being on here over Michael Orr? I would. Yes. I think Orr got the video. You know, he, ha- he had the movie about in the blind side. I think there's just so much around that first round pick. That's why he's on this list rather than these other guys, which is uh, unfortunate because that wasn't uh, what we saw in the field. Chris, you want to go with the guards? Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, looks like out of the list here. So I think this is Probably a tougher list uh, to rank, but we got Marshall Yonda, Ben Grubbs, Kalechi Osemele, and Edwin Mulatalo. 
Alec, I know who you're going to pick. Okay, so I, I picked Marshall Yanda and Edwin Molotalo. <laughs> if you're just thinking about the line here, right? <laughs> this is this just makes sense because uh, you know Yanda was the right guard, and then um, Edwin Molotalo on left hand side with Jo um, makes a lot of sense. Now Ronnie Stanley, he's going to have to get moved over to the right tackle. He doesn't have he doesn't have the pedigree of Jo, so he can't stay on the left hand tackle for this team. But yeah, I think that's that's how I would go. I thought this was a really difficult one. Ben Grubbs played really well while he was in Baltimore as well. And uh, but Edwin Moltala, you know, I do have a soft spot for uh, for Edwin. So good call. <laughs> yeah, I think for this position, Yonda is an is an obvious one. Not too much more I can add there that hasn't been said. Uh, for the second one though, I actually went. The direction of Osemele, looking just at his time in Baltimore. Um, we know his career uh, went off the rails after he left and got the big payday. But I mean, back uh, during that offseason, there was a lot of talk about whether or not the Ravens should retain Osemele over Yonda long term. And benefit of hindsight, we know which was the correct way to go. But uh, especially his last couple years in Baltimore, Osemele was a was a monster on the line. He was able to play several positions. I think he he ended the 2015 season playing left tackle, yep. I believe. So Mulatalo and Grubbs, also excellent Ravens, but I'm going to go with Yonda and Osemele for uh, this category. All right, I can go next. Um, I, I love Mule. In fact, one of my great football memories, probably the best football day we've ever had other than maybe the Mile High Miracle. We went to the game in Tennessee, and uh, this is in, on one eight oh one. So, so it's right after the 2000 season where they won 24-10. And the Ravens were winding down the win, and Mulatalo came over the stands and, and gave me one of his blocking gloves. So that was still one of the cool memorabilia items I've got So uh, from that game. And then later I got it signed by him, so it's, that's, that's a neat thing. But Mulatalo, great Raven for a long time. I went with Grubbs. Um, I thought he just was at a higher level uh, than Mule and uh, provided the Ravens a little more as a pulling guard. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm, I'm going to go with Peter on this one. I, I think for me, it was a tough call between Grubbs and Osemele. But you definitely had a good point earlier, Peter, about just that offseason when Osemele was going to be a free agent of everybody. Everybody wanted Osemele. Uh, he was just a very, very excellent player for the Ravens. It was a shame we couldn't keep both of them. But, you know, uh, like we said, no, it's you can't pass up a, a future Hall of Famer, Marshall Yonda. You got to resign that guy. So, But he, Marshall Yonda is definitely the, I think, consensus number one pick. So, Ken, why don't you start off center? It's Matt Burke and Michael Flynn. One of the easiest choices of all on the entire list. We ha- we're watching, actually, the 2005 season right now and doing the, the offensive line scoring for that. So, we're trying to go back a year every year kind of thing. And um, Flynn has a lot of problems with footwork. And it's things we don't see with Matt Scurro, which is nice that he's coming back and whatnot. But Flynn steps on the quarterback's foot very regularly. And it's just unbelievable that the Ravens' coaches were able to allow you know 12 15 plays a year to be lost to this kind of miserable footwork and and uh you know we watch this thing happening is uh he was at the tail end of his career then he did play in 2006 as well but uh, uh but it's it can't be him burke in fact when i was scoring the offensive line in the burke era is when i first started scoring offensive line and he really set all of the bars too high for other centers in fact i've had to lower my grading system twice at center because what Burke did was so exceptional. He's getting an A pretty much every game. And I, I, I kept ratcheting up what it, what it meant to be an A at center. So anyway, he was, you know, probably the Ravens best offensive lineman other than Yondo while he was here. 
It's interesting that analysis with Mike Flynn, because he was on the Ravens for a good while and was a, a starter. So yeah, that, that's definitely interesting. But I agree, even before that uh, excellent analysis there, Matt Burke was going to be my pick. Uh, I was actually surprised. For whatever reason, I remembered him only being on the Ravens from uh, 2011 through 2012, but he was been there since 2009. But yep, starting center for the Ravens uh, since Super Bowl 47, and he was a huge part of that line while he was there. Easy pick. Also going back to center, I don't know if there's anyone else that we could say was was left off this list. I don't know. Maybe Jeff Mitchell, but... Yeah, I, centers hasn't really been a strong position for the Ravens. You wouldn't put Jeremy Zuda on the list. So you've got Jason Brown, and then you've got guys from from the early Ravens years, Jeff Mitchell and Quentin Newhart, New Year, and people like that. I don't think there's any, really anybody else to be uh, to be had. If Brown were on, he'd probably be on as a guard too. Yeah, Matt Burke agreed with everybody so far. Just look at what happened in 2013 when Burke retired, tried to replace him with Gino Gradkowski. That experiment did not work whatsoever. <laughs> it's uh, It's got to be Burke. Yeah. The thing that's crazy is I just remembered Flynn being on the team for 10 years, and I, I leaned that way uh, for no other reason than that, but Burke was obviously the better player, right? What, what name did you actually have written down there, Alec? <laughs> I just want to make sure. <laughs> no, I, no, I had Matt Burke. I'm just saying, though, Mike Flynn, I was thinking about it from the Ravens' perspective, right? He was there for so long. But uh, again, Burke was so great that I that's the way I went. 10 years. I went back and checked because I was like, how long? It felt like a long time, but how, how long was it? It was 10 years. Defensive end. This one I felt was pretty easy, but I'm curious to see what, what Ken says because uh, I might have uh, like you know rose-colored glasses. But uh, for me, between Michael McCrary... Uh, Trevor Price and Rob Burnett I went Michael McCrary I just had a lot of really good memories of him uh, he did radio shows as well uh, we talked about that last episode <laughs> Like I, was, I always enjoyed going to see him uh, do those shows uh, live and actually I think I've seen him around Baltimore a decent amount after you know his career so I don't know if he ended up living here or not but uh, definitely have seen him around McCrary, I have I have no respect to judgment um, I, I went with Burnett he played a few more snaps uh, obviously in his career, but also was a better run defender. And uh, Burnett contributed a little bit as a pass rush, not as much as McCrary. McCrary had the great postseason. I understand the pick completely. If you want to go with McCrary, I just thought Rob Burnett gave the Ravens a little bit more. Yeah, I think this is a tough one between uh, McCrary and Burnett. Uh, Trevor Price had an incredible season for the Ravens in 2006, but aside from that season, vast majority of his production was with uh, Denver. I did end up going with McCrary over Burnett. Part of that bias may be, you know, the sack numbers uh, through 97 through 2000. The guy had at least seven sacks, um, and he was one of the names I really remember in that first year of watching football, uh, the 2000 year. So I will admit back then I wasn't watching as closely and didn't know as much about the game, but with what I remember about McCrary, he got the slight edge for me over Burnett. Yeah, I think this one is kind of interesting. When you when you look at these players here, I mean, there are names that you kind of recognize, but honestly, none of these guys really lasted very long with the Ravens. I mean, Trevor Price was only here for about five seasons, although his career was extremely long. Uh, Michael McCrary looked like was only here for five or six seasons, and I think I think Burnett is around that as well. Burnett was six. Yeah. Six seasons for Burnett too. So yeah, actually, you know, for for a team so uh, 
you know, remembered about defense, it's kind of surprising the position group here, your top three players only lasted about five, five or six years. Um, for me, uh, you know, the, I, you know, I agree with you guys. McCrary is definitely a, a guy who stands out. I mean, he's a ring of honor player. You know, my gut reaction to this was honestly Trevor Price. You know, I definitely, you know, would say that my reaction is more of a uh, a peak performance kind of player. I, I remember him just being an absolute monster when we got him in the 2005 offseason. Um, 2006, he had 13 sacks. Uh, it was just a menace for, you know, one of the best Ravens defenses of all time. And, you know, that's kind of what I look to uh, for that, even though, you know, admittedly, the rest of his career was was not as high as, as that first year. Moving on to the interior of the defensive lineman. This is another column where the the website had us pick two. And the candidates are Kelly Gregg, Haloti Nada, Tony Saragusa, Sam Adams, and Brandon Williams. So for this one, I'll have to think of my second because I first pass at this, I only saw one for whatever reason. Uh, Haloti Nada, I think, is the obvious uh, first candidate on this list, um, 2006 to 2012 especially. Ray Lewis went to the front office and said that he needed more size on the interior line to eat up guards and centers, and they got Nada, and he did that. So not only did Nada have a great career for himself, but he helped Ray Lewis in his older years as he was getting you know older and less physical. Outside of Nada, the second one I'd have to pick, I think would be... Brandon Williams, although I think all four of those guys you could make a case for. I think we've we've seen what Brandon Williams done and does as a run stuffer for this defense. Um, it's noticeable step down when he's been out for injury, and you know he's not a not a highlight player, so he's a guy that you know fans may not notice what he does on a week in to week basis. But in spite of the fact his contract might be a little high for what he does, I think Brandon Williams would be a number two pick for this column. Yeah, um, I'm going to go with uh, Haloti Nada and Kelly Gregg. Uh, the reason why I give a nod over, um, the nod over Brandon Williams, Kelly Gregg was, had almost 350 tackles in his career, was an absolute monster. I mean, if you just look at you know the amount of damage he could do on the interior of the line when really his position is just to eat up blocks. I mean, that's, that's absolutely fantastic. You know, it to me, I, I guess the the body of work over the career is is something that's more than what Brandon Williams has today. Um, whereas, you know, I mean, the sack numbers are going to be pretty comparable, I think, between the both of them. Um, but yeah, definitely, Haloti Nada has to be slam dunk first choice uh, for anybody who's writing this list. I mean, he had absolutely everything. He was a run stuffer, a pass rusher. Um, it's just absolutely amazing, you know, how freakish of an athlete he was. He's very special, no doubt about it. Not as my number one guy. Greg, also my number two guy. His productivity numbers are at the very, very top end of any interior alignment. So if you have a nose tackle or even a three-tech, they, they very rarely approach the kind of tackle number, tackle productivity numbers that Greg had. And he didn't really give up a lot versus double teams to get there. He's an Iron Man. He played a ton of snaps on the defensive line, even for a rotational team. He's a remarkable player. He's one of the players I think will get into the Ravens' ring of honor at some point. The Ravens may have to suffer through kind of a down period uh, for it to happen, but I think uh, Kelly Gregg will eventually make it. I think Matt Burke, by the way, should make it too. Yeah, I'm not going to be that interesting. Holy Nadia is obvious. I struggle between Tony Saragusa, uh, who ended his career here and was such a highlight of the 2000 Ravens defense, but Kelly Gregg was here for, what was it, eight seasons? Just incredible grit. He was like a bowling ball, man. 
he wasn't that big of a guy, but he was just so stout, right? <laughs> yeah, he was. I, I remember when we we pulled up his picture. Uh, it, like he had like no neck, just like immediate uh, <laughs> from the shoulders. Just, what a what a guy. Kelly Gray would be my choice as well with Holodinata, the twelfth overall pick um, from his years of absolute wrecking ball. What was that play in? Uh... Wasn't it 2006, I want to say, against Oakland where a ball was batted up and Kelly Gregg ran it back like 40 yards and Ray Lewis was pushing him down the field? That one sounds like Nada's first game, the interception against Tampa. But you're saying I, I think it happened in back-to-back weeks. I think Nada was in Tampa Bay, and then the next week against Oakland, Kelly Gregg had one. Yeah, it's a, it was a fumble recovery. You're absolutely right. Was, was that what it was? Nice. A snap. So next up, we've got uh, outside linebacker. So... Uh, this is another choose two, but really you're just choosing one. Um, <laughs> we have Matt Judon, Terrell Suggs, Peter Boulware, Adelius Thomas, Elvis Dumerville, and Jarrett Johnson. I said you're just choosing one because I think Terrell Suggs is a slam dunk on this list. You know, I saw a lot of hate for Adelius Thomas online when I was looking at what other people were doing on this list. He wasn't my pick. My pick was Peter Boulware, just an exceptional talent. And, uh, you know, Elvis Stumerville, I think maybe if you think overall careers is better, but uh, just looking at Ravens production, um, that's where I went with Peter Boulware. Yeah, I mean, Suggs and Boulware was where I went as well. The interesting thing about Boulware is to think about where his career would be if he didn't have that, that knee injury that kept him out of the 2003 postseason. Guy was never able to recover from that, missed all of 2004 and played sparingly in, in 05 before he had to retire, but... I mean, when he was on the field, just a monster pass rusher, first seven seasons of his career, never a season under seven sacks. And the Ravens had him play a lot around the defense as well, especially, I think, in 2001 when they had some injuries. Uh, so, yeah, Suggs and Bulwer for me. That flexibility to move to defensive end was one of the reasons I had him as my second guy. I think Adelis Thomas was the highest in terms of peak value. I could even make the argument that he was even higher than Suggs' defensive player of the year season in 2006. It just, it's one of the great seasons ever by a Raven. Yeah, honestly, yeah, my gut reaction is kind of the same as you guys. Nothing more to add. <laughs> uh, I will add, I think Peter Boulware was one of the featured people. Um, the uh, What was the Ravens podcast called that was about after their career kind oh. of thing? This guy's had a fascinating career afterwards. What happened to that guy? Yeah, what happened to that guy? Yeah, he's been uh, heavily involved with like... Uh, car dealerships um i think he had like that plan from the get-go and then he uh ran in politics uh <laughs> so as a, a state house member so yeah definitely a, a very interesting guy next up another classic category where you choose two but really you're choosing one we got middle linebacker that guy ray lewis bart scott jamie sharper and cj mosley for this one i went with uh, ray lewis and bart scott you know bart scott i think was uh, an incredible player uh, during his time with the Ravens. Really a, a great compliment uh, next to Ray Lewis. Um, and then he had good success with the Jets. So he was my guy. You know, CJ Mosley, for me, I, I've i never been maybe as high on as, uh, as uh, Peter and Chris. Um, and, maybe, and maybe Ken. I'm not quite sure. Um, but for, for me, I was kind of glad we didn't re-sign him and, and things like that. So it all worked out. I, I think he demanded too much money, right? Like, I think we all think the Jets paid a lot of money for him. I just... Yeah. I I never I don't know I don't know if he was worth um, that huge contract. 
Well, if you're saying you can economize at the position, I would I would really agree. And they did a great job of that, that last year. But Moses is my number two guy. Uh, he, he took crap as a coverage guy. It was just completely unfounded. During his last years, particularly when he was working with Owasso, Owasso was so weak in terms of coverage, it had to be him taking every significant coverage responsibility from that inside linebacker role. And he understood what was going on behind him on a play, and Owasso never got that. I mean, he, he, he bit on play action all the time. He, he was out of position. Kenny Young as well was bad there. And that's the reason why after four weeks last year, they ended up just – I, I want to say flushing the toilet, but that's really not a great, a great <laughs> hitting the reset button. Yeah, they let everybody go. Yeah, they let everybody go, and Owasso's snaps were cut to nothing, and uh, and Kenny Young was traded, and uh, you know, it's just they moved on. Yeah, I was. I would also take Lewis and Mosley on this one. Um, I will say, I feel like Darrell Smith may have been snubbed in this category, although I wouldn't put him higher than uh, than Mosley, and certainly not Lewis for obvious reasons. Yeah, I think C.J. Mosley is always going to have a tough place in Ravens history just because, you know, he's the first line, midside linebacker taken first round since Ray. So there was always that going to be that comparison. And despite the fact that he was a very good member of the Ravens defense um, and deservedly a Pro Bowl player, in my opinion, he was not Ray. So I think that will always be part of the perception with Mosley. Yeah, I agree with you, Ken and Peter. Uh, CJ is my number two guy. Uh, a couple of reasons. One, 57, always looks good in the linebacker. It's one of my favorite numbers uh, for talking about uh, uh, players uh, on the Ravens. And, uh, you know, along with our other guy, Bart Scott, there, who I'll have a comment on him in a second. But, yeah, I mean, CJ, you know, although, you know, because of everything you guys mentioned, may have been kind of like an up-and-down player for some of the fan base, he was just so consistently good, in my opinion. I mean, he was, you know, a, a great run stuffer, was underrated in coverage, in my opinion. I mean, you look at some of the early seasons, even before Owasso got significant snaps. I mean, he had some really good coverage plays. I remember there was that interception uh, where he was diving back against the Jaguars. For a guy who people are complaining about his coverage ability, like you don't see plays like that, uh, just people falling into those type of plays. Like you have to have a guy in the right position to be able to make that play. And, you know, unfortunately, just with the guys around him, like Ken said, it just didn't happen in his, his later years. But even then, I mean, you look at you look at some of the plays that CJ made. I mean, just look at his last play uh, against the Browns that week 17 and 2018. I mean, he sealed that game. Um you know, so he, you know, in my mind, he was still a a significant uh, force at middle linebacker. All that being said, I do want to give one shout out to Bart Scott for probably one of the uh, my most favorite plays uh, from any Raven ever. Is uh, absolutely just amazing uh, sack against Ben Roethlisberger in the 2006 season. I remember that play like you know so vividly in my mind. Uh, one of just like the most fantastic plays ever. Does Mosley make the Ring of Honor? I'm going to lean on no. I think typically, has any Ring of Honor player been, I guess you have some of the later career guys who are only a one contract, but I'm thinking like rookies who didn't make a second contract. I don't know if we have any. So that's my guess of no. I think the biggest thing that will be against Mosley getting in is, is just the fact that he wasn't lucky enough to fall on a championship roster. I think sometimes that can be the deciding factor for the guys they pick all right who wants to start off uh the quarterback conversation i'll take a stab at it 
Uh, so the cornerback position, again, we're choosing two from this list. They have listed Dwayne Starks, Chris McAllister, Marcus Peters, Lardarius Webb, Jimmy Smith, and Marlon Humphrey. Again, a, p- a possible snub on this list could maybe be Samari Roll, who's kind of been a bit of a forgotten member of the Ravens, but was uh, the cornerback opposite Chris McAllister on that excellent 2006 defense. This is a really hard one to pick. I think all these guys are good, but I think also sometimes a cornerback is a position that when a guy struggles or when a, when a defense is, is struggling in a game, the cornerback's really going to be the guy who gets picked on a lot. I know for myself, when I was watching football in my early years, um, a lot of the adults I was watching with always ragged on Chris McAllister whenever the defense was having a bad day. Always seemed to be, he always seemed to be the scapegoat. But at his peak, there were some seasons where he wasn't, wasn't as good, be it injury or what. But at his peak, he was a shutdown corner, especially in the 2003 season. Chad Johnson in particular, like Chad Johnson could do nothing against Chris McAllister that season. And again, like I said, McAllister shut down corner in 2000 and 2006 on great defenses. Second guy I would pick, I think Marlon Humphrey. I think he's been excellent to start his career. And maybe he's not quite at the level of career level of a guy like uh, Dwayne Starks or Ladarius Webb as far as what he's done for his career so far, but I think he can eclipse both those guys moving forward. To say I agree, C-Mac would be my number one. Uh, Starks is my number two, though, and I know that's going to surprise some people, but a lot of people don't remember. He had 24 interceptions. That includes the postseason, four interceptions there uh, during the uh, his four years with the Ravens, which you know by modern standards is an amazing number of interceptions. Really, behind Reed and Woodson, they're the only guys who can compete with him at all in terms of interception rate in Ravens history. So uh, I thought Dwayne Starks, for his big plays, despite the fact that he was only here for four years, uh, he's very forgotten. Uh, you know, a player lost in the 2002 cap purge, but he's my number two guy. That's amazing. You know, when people get that many interceptions as Dwayne Stark, you just stop throwing their way. Right. Like that's one of the things you saw with Chris McAllister is he had some seasons where he didn't have many interceptions. But if you remember those seasons, no one wanted to touch him. Right. Yeah, that's that's remarkable for me. It was Chris McAllister uh, for his constant. Will they tag him? Will they not uh, drama in the off seasons? And yeah, he had just a lot of uh, he had a lot of personality around him. And then for the guy who didn't have uh, nearly as much, I guess, uh, off the field intrigue is uh, Marlon Humphrey. Maybe a little bit of recency bias here, uh, but I feel like that guy just generates turnovers in so many ways and so many clutch times that I had to go that way. I would give an honorable mention to Jimmy Smith because how many times we see the defense totally fall apart if Jimmy got hurt. This is definitely one of the hardest ones. There's so many good players. I think any one of these players, um, you could pick them and I'd have no problem with it. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm agree with all of you guys. I think Chris McAllister, I think, is my number one pick. Although I didn't see him as much. Yeah, I I know the the games that I did see from him. I'm absolutely great corner. I mean, he's he's kind of the guy that you would look to for all the players that came after him. Like, is he a Chris McAllister player? Is he going to be that shutdown corner? Um, so yeah, I think that kind of speaks for itself. Um, I, I'll be a little uh, different here. I'll go Jimmy Smith for my number two, and I, my primary reason I think is just longevity. You know, you look at a guy like Wardarius Webb, I mean, he did have a really good rookie season. His second year, he got hurt. 2011 was very, very good. I remember uh, really uh, taking a liking to Webb that year. After that, though, 
you know, you only got so much from Webb. He had a couple more injuries. He did position a little bit over to safety where he didn't do too bad. But, you know, if you're looking at longevity at corner, I don't think Webb is is the guy. Marlon, I definitely think could be there, as you guys said. Um, but he's only been here for about three years right now. Uh, whereas Jimmy has been with the team since 2011. And for a number of years, probably, I'm going to say 2014 to 2017, I think is known as a, a pretty dominant corner. Although he never got his Pro Bowl nod, and I don't think he ever will. I definitely think he's he's one of those guys who deserves to be in the top two. Um, but I, I will say, Ken, thank you for bringing up Dwayne Starks because he was always one of those guys who I looked to at the Super Bowl roster and I was like, I, I remembered a lot of the plays that he made and he was very impactful while he was here. And, you know, with 24 interceptions in four years, my goodness, that those are fantastic numbers. All right. Well, again, uh, as Alec has been saying before, this is our choose two, but really it's only pick one because we know who that first one's going to be. Uh, however, I think this the second choice could be pretty interesting. Uh, we got a number of different names here. So we've got Eric Turner, Rod Woodson, Ed Reed, Earl Thomas, Dewan Landry, and Eric Weddle. So if I had to pick two, you know, Ed Reed, definitely number one. Eric Weddle will probably be my number two. I will say I think this is a little bit difficult because you have a number of guys here who did not play uh, for the Ravens for the majority of the career. Rob Woodson, obviously a Steeler. Earl Thomas, a Seahawk, a part of the Legion of Boom. Eric Weddle, a part of the Chargers. But I really like what Eric Weddle brought to the Ravens for his couple of years here. Uh, I thought he was pretty, pretty impactful. Definitely one of the more impactful free agent pickups I think we've had. And, and he really revived his career here. And, you know, I expect him to kind of be around uh, the Ravens for years to come. Yeah, I mean, Ed Reed, obviously, pick number one. I went, would actually go Rod Woodson for pick number two. Correct, most of his career was in Pittsburgh, but he was still in Baltimore for four years and still was a good run stopper in the, on those defenses, and he had a lot of interceptions in all those years. Obviously, he's in the Hall of Fame, uh, mostly for his work in Pittsburgh, but I think he did a pretty good job while he was in Baltimore as well. Reed, an obvious number one selection. Uh, to me, Rod Woodson is the clear number two at safety. Uh, his years at Baltimore were great years for the defense. In particular, his 2000 season was really something special. And uh, he's the guy for me. I guess I'll go contrarian here. Ed Reed, number one. But then for me, number two, I went with Dewan Landry, who surprisingly only was here for five seasons, one of which was uh, full of injury. But he splashed on the scene, his rookie year, fifth round pick, and he had five interceptions. And then he continued when he came back from his injury to have um, four interception year. And I just remember him just feeling like a great value and uh, a player who really filled in well um, and contributed that uh, historic 2006 defense. So moving on to the uh, special team side of the ball. Gosh, kicker. Haven't we been blessed? Justin Tucker and Matt Stover are our two choices. For me, I went with Tucker. I think he has another 10 years of excellence in him. But man, Matt Stover, I just love the way he lined up with the arms, and uh, he just knocked it through too. Didn't have as much of a leg though as Justin Tucker. Justin Tucker, he gives you that that threat, uh, past fifty yards that Stover really never had, even at his peak, wasn't uh, as big of a leg. I don't think there's any real doubt about any of the Wolfback players, but uh, Tucker's the obvious kicker, the greatest field goal kicker of all time. I- I've mentioned this a few times before, but he at one point made more than a hundred consecutive kicks from 57 or fewer yards where the kick was not blocked. So during that time, he had six misses, wide right from 58, uh, short from 62, 
and four blocks, but had no other misses in terms of directing the ball towards the uprights, which is just absolutely amazing um, in terms of a in terms of a streak. So Tucker, the greatest greatest field goal kicker of all time, Stover, a very nice guy. Uh, a lot of things to talk about that are nice about him, but clearly doesn't compete with Tucker. Yeah, you can't argue against the most accurate kicker in NFL history. Um, as great as Stover was for the Ravens teams, especially carrying the offense through some uh, dry oh spells gosh. in the end zone. Yeah, never forget that time he hit uh, five field goals so we could win by 15 point, you know, the 15 point game. Just completely leaning on him. Well, then Tucker went and kicked six on Monday Night Football. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, when you look back at Justin Tucker's career, I, the other thing you have to remember too, he came in on you know, as a rookie on that 2012 Ravens team that eventually won the Super Bowl, how much more stressful of a situation could a rookie kicker come into when he had to make uh, some absolutely clutch kicks to keep the Ravens in the playoffs? I mean, you know, I remember that was the 47-yarder to uh, win the Mile High Miracle in uh, double overtime in Denver. I mean, you can't make this stuff up, man. Like, you got to have a Hall of <laughs> a Hall of Fame kicker to be able to make these kicks in clutch situations. And, you know, that was, fortunately for us, the, the, the best was yet to come. He just got, you know, better and better and better. I, I think he's got to be a unanimous pick here. For punter, we have uh, Sam Cook, Kyle Richardson, and Dave Zasadil. Uh For this one, I went with the guy with, uh, was 18 different kind of punts, uh, Sam Cook. You know, the Wolfpack here, I think, might get a sweep. They're uh, they're definitely special and have that name for a reason. Yeah, I think we can just all agree Morgan Cox for the, the long snapper category. I don't really have much to say in the comparison between him, Mesa, and I'll be honest, I've never heard of Matt Catula. Um, but yeah, Sam Cook for me as well for the reasons you guys have already stated. Yep, I have nothing to add for these next two position groups. <laughs> I think the Wolfpack should make it in. All right. Well, last one, I think this is going to be an interesting one. Returner. I almost forgot to add it to the list. Jacoby Jones or um, Jermaine Lewis. For me, I went with Jermaine Lewis. They both had huge returns in the playoffs, right? They both had uh, Super Bowl returns. So that that's that makes it like, you know, a nice uh, kind of comparison jump off point. But for me, I think Jermaine Lewis uh, just felt like more of a consistent uh, return threat. Whereas uh, Jacoby Jones was kind of like hit or miss. You know, he either... <laughs> dance his way away from people or he uh he didn't do much at all yeah uh, i kind of agree with you alec um you know I, both these guys uh, remarkably similar i think if you look in their career not the most you know consistent like wide receiver weapons but pretty good for what they did and also very good returners you know i don't believe the special teams units that we had back in the early 2000s were probably as good as what jacoby jones had when he was here as a raven Okay, it's a pretty easy choice for me in terms of returner. Actually, maybe not an easy choice, but Jermaine Lewis wins it over Jacoby Jones. The reason in, in in Lewis' case is that he had significant contributions as a receiver to the Ravens, where Jacoby uh, did much less. And I'll, I'm going to remember lots of great things about Jacoby Jones. The the touchdown re- return against Minnesota in the snow was something really special. The uh, the touchdown return, obviously, in the Super Bowl. He had some very significant long ones, had fewer great moments outside of the Mile High Miracle as a receiver, um, and, and Lewis was a very dangerous receiver there for the Ravens for uh, uh, for several years in the beginning of their existence. In fact, in 1998, he was Harbaugh's big target and had a number of plays over 50 yards. So uh, he, he's my guy uh, as the return guy. Yeah. Jermaine Lewis for me as well. You could maybe make the case that Jacoby was closer to Jermaine as, a, as far as... Uh, talent as a kick returner but 
I think as a punt returner is really where Jermaine um, distanced himself from Jacoby, in my opinion. So Jermaine Lewis for me as well. Well, Ken, thanks so much for joining us uh, tonight and uh, discussing all these different uh, players. Definitely great to hear your analysis. You said that you have a couple good shows coming up this week for people to listen to. Yeah, we've got a, a fair amount of new content on Film Study, uh, filmstudybaltimore.com, or follow me at Film Study Ravens. Uh, some good technical studies, including uh, a great study coming up on, on QB injuries uh, that'll be coming out later this week. Uh, very excited about that one, and uh, I'll let the author be a surprise to you, but it's a, it's a guest author, and, uh, and you should, folks should definitely take a look at that. Well, definitely go check out Ken's podcast. Make sure to go follow us on Twitter. You'll be found at Ravens underscore recap. Lots of good conversation happening. Uh, make sure to give us a like or a review in your podcast player of choice. Tell a friend about the show, and we'll be back soon.